Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week it's coming up to Halloween and we're talking about thrills, chills, spills, maybe a little bit of horror and uh, all that kind of stuff I think. We can get some exciting stuff out of our gaming. Um, but I can't be just here on my own in my dark house getting scared. I need to speak to someone else as well. So are you there Barry? No, I've gone down the swamp with the dog and the girl in the wheelchair. Let's split up the party and see what's going on in the mists. Yeah, just, you've got to say I'll be right back as well. That helps. Oh, see, this is why I get it wrong. I don't know the tropes. I know the first half of all the tropes, <laughs> and then I can't follow it through. And I try and play horror games, and it all fails. Sorry, everyone. I know horror in you know scare quotes. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> is the sort of thing that, like, like I don't like superheroes. You're not really that uh, hot on horror either um, but there has been a, for example a TV series that did have a, quite a strong role playing element that you might have seen recently Stranger Things yeah. have you had that in your viewing list Baz oh yeah and so is everybody I really liked it let's get that out of the way straight away I thought it was excellent for lots of different reasons what did you think yeah I thought it was absolutely awesome I mean it's, it's got a certain amount of nostalgia to it and it feels like it's of a time mm. uh, as TV series and things were when we were lads perhaps uh, but even without that, it's certainly got an element of the kind of uh, Pan's Labyrinth and the Guillermo de Toro kind of stuff, and just got a weird otherworldly feel to it, and a bit of a mystery running through it as well. It's weird, because I don't like those ones. See, I, I thought this would be the case, because, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe people don't realise this, but, but you and I don't actually share tastes in movies and books and videos just because we like gaming. Far from it. And actually, sometimes we come from quite opposite ends of the spectrum. I think we share a philosophy... Uh, but that doesn't mean we like the same genres. And, and as you say, I'll watch superhero films and read superhero comics all day long, and you won't. And I've tried to get you into them, and it doesn't work. And you, I, I'm going to put this out there, and you tell me if I'm wrong or not, mate, but you quite like a bit of horror, maybe with a small H, maybe with a big H, and it runs like a seam through a lot of the games that you like, like your Hot War. Yeah, well, I like the, the Dead Dark stuff and, down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you like that. So I reckon that despite us both liking Stranger Things, which takes me by surprise straight away, I'm not sure we like the same things about it. Because one of the things I do like <laughs> about it is there's about eight different programs platted together quite nicely. Um, and I, I, I think there's something in there for everyone, which is maybe why I've yet to meet anyone who said they didn't like it, which is good. Yeah. I only know one person that's... Um, well, no, I want them. I want them and Shane, but yeah. I'm pretty similar. I've just found one person who doesn't get it. But apart from that, everybody else I've met thinks it's right, great. Write it on a bit of paper, hold it up. I, I bet I know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll message you later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's other good things about it. I mean, it feels a little bit like a role-playing game, doesn't it? The, the sort of stories it unfolds. There's a bit of a mystery going on, and these kids are trying to work out what's going on. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, it works on many levels, doesn't it? There's kind of like an adult-level thing going on, as well as what the kids are doing in there. Uh, sort of got running through their D and D game at the start, aren't they? Which I think is a nice little touch and brings that you know front and center. So I think possibly one of the things with horror, big or small, H, depending on how you want to talk about it, and certainly uh, that sort of stuff we were talking about just then, is probably like xenophobia or that that uh, me- that fear of the unknown, the not knowing what's going on, the knowing there's a mystery there, and you can see some threads to pull at. I'm not really sure whether you want to pull them or not. But on the flip side, I guess, in most role-playing games, when you've got players or you want to be interactive with the game, you want to pull on those strings, don't you, to see what happens. And I think that's one of the tough things to get right sometimes, is the wanting things to happen and pull it, but not wanting to go completely gung-ho and just unravel the whole jumper when you pull a thread too hard. Do you know what I mean? Because I find Cthulhu games sometimes get a little bit like that at conventions, when everybody seems to be in on the joke and kind of wants to rush to the end of it. And really, you kind of want a bit of of thrill and scare, 
but you don't want to go too far in or equally just turtle up and not look at anything or you know run away from the the you know the first sign of interest I, one of the reasons I, I struggle with horror there's lots of different reasons I struggle with horror I mean the first one is I just it's just not my preference it's not my preference if I've got a night off I'm going to go to the movies I'm never going to pick uh, a horror movie and I won't give examples because everyone will write in and say oh that's a rubbish horror movie you want to try this really good one <laughs> so no you don't get it I don't like them it's like when I try and convince you to watch Civil War because it's one of the better ones and you go but I don't like any superhero <laughs> films shut up <laughs> I want to go see Pan's Labyrinth again which I think is boring but never mind um <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's one reason it's just not my thing and I think one of the other things uh, that just doesn't really float my boat and I'm, it's it's a bit like uh, and let's go for the old smart party trope here it's a bit like fate I want to like it I've tried hard I'd like someone to show me really how to get into it but I struggle and that's with investigations and investigations in my role playing games ah. Oh, they well, I just have a few personal struggles with them. Um, I, I find them unsatisfying mainly, and an awful lot of horror gaming is about the investigation. I don't think it has to be, and of course, there's going to be loads of times when it isn't. And Dead of Night that you opened up with, the few times I've played that has been very investigation light. It's been much more action based, um, and I've enjoyed those actually. Uh, but uh, investigation games usually leave me a little cold, whether I'm playing or GMing them because I find that people don't often stay in character for investigations. It's very, very easy to drop out of whatever character you've got, whether it be a stereotypical jock or computer nerd or you know, competent medic. Those just become words on a piece of paper. For me, it tends to be that the players just start trying to jot down conspiracy webs and trying to solve it, like reading an Agatha Christie book, which is fine, but that's not really what I want for my role-playing games. And horror games for me have a little bit of that, and then it all explodes at the end and everybody dies. Now, of course, I'm being reductive. Of course, totally get that. But I don't find any of that scary. And if it ain't scary, is it horror? So do you have to be frightened for it to count? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you watch... I don't know when you watch horror films, like some people want want the scares, but then, you know, a lot of those films can be just like big loud noises or bangs or sudden shocks come up on screen. That makes you jump. It's not really being scared. It's just like that momentary reaction, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I much prefer the sort of creeping thing. So maybe what you want from the uh, a horror game, perhaps, or I'm saying what you want. It could be anyone, but uh, it's perhaps more like layers of an onion. You start to reveal more stuff, and you feel yourself getting drawn in. I think um, now the trouble with that is, as I've mentioned, quite a lot of investigative games aren't that interesting. You don't find things out and go, ah, right. So that's that person. That means this. A lot of the time, you go along just collecting clues to get to the next clue, and you're not really learning anything new about the story or anything wide enough. So it might just be perhaps there aren't enough good scenarios that are in. You know, I've sat through plenty of Cthulhu and other games where you get, oh, you found some white gloves, and you go, oh, brilliant, thanks. And I know that in three hours, that will all make sense, and there'll be a reason for it. But right now, as a player, I don't know what that means. And I can't, you know, you ask questions, and what size are they? And, you know, are they ladies' gloves or man's gloves? And you, you sort of go down that thing because you, you're sort of after information in the game, aren't you? So you can interact with what's going on. But frequently, there's nothing to learn there, and then you've kind of got to move on. So it perhaps requires just some more, um, like, inspired scenario writing or GMing to get us drawn into these games. Yeah, it could be. And, and that's that's weird because as a massive fan of the published adventure, um, apart from fancy games the best and the most well-known and the most prestigious pre-published adventures are probably the Call of Cthulhu campaigns 
some of yesteryear and some of a very recent vintage. Um, they're still banging them out of the park. I've bought some, and I have a feeling I'm not alone in this. I bought them to read, just for reading's sake. So I've played through all of Horror on the Orient Express for Cthulhu, or most of it, and enjoyed it for what it was. But I've read through an awful lot more Call of Cthulhu campaigns and really enjoyed them for that. It's kind of like reading a book and reading the director's notes at the same time, or the author's notes. And that's been quite fun. And, and putting myself in a situation, it's like playing a solo game book. I know that sounds really weird, but that's how I've read stuff like Eternal Lies or Master of Nyarlathotep and enjoyed them. But every time I've tried to run them at the table, they get a few sessions in and it, well, it becomes quite slow. And I just don't have, I don't have time for those massive campaigns anymore. But if there is a lack of really good adventures in that genre, the ones that haven't quite got me yet, then I'm sure they're out there because there seems to be an awful lot of published horror games and horror adventures and that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it's if it's a genre that suits improvisation. There's a that the whole kind of power by the apocalypse stuff has usually got some horror in it. But apart from Tremulous, and I don't think that's got a fantastic reputation. I don't know if there's much in the way of pure out and out horror improvisational style games. They all seem to be quite well plotted, don't they? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we've tried Nice Black Agents recently, which is, hmm. I guess, ostensibly a, a you know a horror game because it's got vampires in it. That's it. You know, but... <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> if you don't know that by now, tough. You should have bought it and read it sooner and played it. Um, well, it doesn't necessarily do, but it's it's a spy thriller game as well as I mean this kind of undercolor kind of like eighties world of darkness vampire thing going on as well. And what that all actually means uh, is kind of up to the gem a little bit. There isn't a, a definitive list in the book that says this is exactly what's going on in kind of the if you picked up I don't know. Simbarim or some of the game like that where it like details the world in, in like absolute minutiae of detail. It's more a, like a menu sort of options that you pick a la carte and pull the you know, pull out something from. Uh, and it's got I mean to the credit of gumshoe, it's not a you know a system I particularly are thrilled by or anything like that, but it's got um, a spine of a plot running through and which it talks about and then how you move along and get to different places and inject some like pace and drama and different events along an investigative trail. Um so that kind of set up, although not necessarily tightly plotted up front, you've certainly got the structure in place of how things are going to go and you have some idea. I think it's, um, I think like you said, you need you need to have like some bangs and scenes and other things set up. You can't just leave it like you get invited to your uncle's house and here's a letter and he wants you to investigate something and the players just bumble about looking for, I don't know, any kind of clue as to what to do for three hours. For me anyway. I mean, I played some Cthulhu recently and I quite enjoyed the games. Good gems, decent players around the table, but they have been a little bit kind of bumbling around in the dark for a few hours and then you uh, eventually get the big reveal at the end. Uh, and what we need is, or what I would like for my game, should I say, I can't speak for other people, is having a bit more engagement along the way or just decision trees for myself as a player so I get to make some choices about things. Because the trouble with investigations as they are is it can just be A to B to C, can't it? You're not sort of... You don't get to a point where you think, well, we have to do this or this. Quite often it's just like, well, clearly we need to go and speak to this guy or we need to look at this clue or we need to go to this location. And good games that we play or I play, I would posit, are ones where the players get to decide things. Yeah, generally speaking, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, I think one of the issues for me as well is that I'm fundamentally not that clever, really. (laughs) When it comes to games, I think simple plots can sometimes be better than complex convoluted ones. Um, 
and because the the game space that you play in of having maybe up to half a dozen people um, all playing it blind apart from the GM means that it will get convoluted and complex enough already and sometimes the the adventures that I've read are relatively complex and I have to make notes on them and if I have to do that and I'm essentially handing out pieces of a jigsaw to people who don't really even have the box cover art to know how to put the jigsaw together that's it's quite complicated so you want that feeling of progression you want to feel like you're getting somewhere no matter what the game is even if that getting somewhere is going downhill fast you want the forward momentum and i find that in investigations it is just a personal thing that, that things often grind to a little bit of a halt or they get a bit thoughtful or it becomes too planny and i know there's techniques and everything to get around that and there's ways of getting things on track and moving forward but none of that says horror to me or chills or trepidation or anxiety it it just becomes administrative which is probably the least horrific thing you could think of in, in genre <laughs> fiction <laughs> so that's my issue so but i'm sure there's loads of people listening in and going well don't do investigations in your horror games then because you know if i think i although i'm avowedly a, a not a horror fan some of my favorite films are horror films jaws is one of the finest films ever made and alien is is right up there and they're not investigations are they so there's there's i'm sure there's loads there that it's gone a bit untapped for me because of my fear of investigations i'm not looking for the other stuff yeah well i think sort of the way a lot of games even the venerable cthulhu and the, you know the new iteration of delta green that sort of game the way they've gone a little bit is to focus a bit more about what's important to the character and you have some anchors or they call them various things depending on the game you're talking about but you might have I don't know an ex-wife and kids or you might have like a relationship with your old university professor or whatever it is but you have things now in the systems written into the games about what your character cares about and I think looking more from that angle about if you think about Jaws and stuff like that it's it's those three guys on that boat and that, that kind of thing it's the and same with the aliens it's that crew that you know and you've got the, the engineers who are trying to get, make a quick book off the company and the you know the officer who's trying to do the right thing and all these other you know you care about the characters and their journey and then so when things start happening to them or they're in peril then you worry about it and that's sort of where the horror in inverted commas comes from so we perhaps need to uh, think a bit more about doing that with our characters and if you can care find out what the characters care about and the players care about what the characters care about then that's where you can start to get a bit more of the horror because you can challenge, they challenge that kind of stuff or they go off and do things and come back and are changed or challenged by their loved ones or whatever else as, you know, as a result of what they're going through or what they're doing. I think if you make it more personal story, that's perhaps where we can get a bit more of the interest. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a really good point because going back to Stranger Things, you can pick the thing that presses your buttons. That's where you get your horror from. So when I watched Stranger Things, the the bit that really, really got to me was Winona Ryder's character, the mom, who I know has actually irritated a lot of other people, and that's not maybe their least favourite thread. But as a dad, for the last 10 years since I've been a dad, the idea of losing one of my kids is by far the most appalling thing I could ever imagine, and I don't want to imagine it. And if I start imagining it, I put mental walls up in my head to stop myself even yeah. thinking about it because I would just fall apart and crumble so watching that aspect of that show that was where the horror was for me way more than the creepy thing creeping around in the in the never never so you know that that bit that's fine and that, that was trad TV for me and the kids bit I really enjoyed for different reasons in a kind of a stand by me kind of way 
and you know they had they had me at Demogorgon, of course, but actually <laughs> seeing seeing a mum lose her shit because you know one of her boys had gone missing, I could absolutely relate to that, and that made it a horror story without any of the supernatural aspects at all, and it would be different for other people. I don't, I doubt you got that from that as 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 a fellow without kids. You know, it'd be different for you, I reckon. Yeah, not to the same extent, but I, I think so. To to relate it to the point I was making a bit as well is that. I, you know, I was thinking, how's this kid gonna get back? You know, it wasn't so much as a as a father, but thinking, feeling for the child. You know, thinking like he's fucked now. He's in this never never world or whatever. And like, how are they actually gonna get him back? Like, there's just no way of doing it. You know, it, and you kind of know as a viewer, as you would as a player in a game, that there is some resolution to it. Otherwise, why are you playing? But you know, you get sucked into the idea that you can't. You, that's where the mystery and the investigation in inverted cameras would come from. It's like, how we're we gonna get that kid back? You know, because at the minute we can't see any way, and we're just going to try stuff now to, uh, to to make something happen. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, it is from a different perspective I see it, but the, the, the elements of it and making it personal, I think, are still relevant. And, and sort of flipping on his head back to the investigation thing, just for one last go, is I don't often see investigation things that aren't horror. So I think that's why the two have become really, really entwined for me. That I, I haven't played in many investigation scenarios that aren't also designed to be about. Uh, a serial killer or a monster or or it's more than just a mystery that needs to be solved it's something horrific that needs to be solved and maybe that's just the genres we dabble in maybe that's inevitable and who wants to play a fraud investigation well maybe depends on the situation i suppose but but that but that's why i always see the, the two of them parceled together and i think maybe separating them out might be both good for both genres for me so it, it, I am interested in, in exploring some horror tropes. I'm less interested in sleuthing my way to an end. Yeah, okay. Well, let's throw this one at you and, and see how it sticks. What about Earth Dawn? That's yes. literally got creatures in cold horrors. Yes. Uh, and it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff that you could easily equate to a zombie apocalypse or any other number of things. Uh, and it is a, you know, it's a horror game, one could argue. You sort of find yourself a lot of time in these cares, which were abandoned tombs of places that some evil demonic like creature got in and slaughtered everybody over hundreds of years, etc. Uh, does that not count as a horror game to an extent? Yeah, it does, totally. And the reason it does is because uh, when we were prepping for this and we, we, we mooted this as a subject, I was thinking of like, you know, my games that I have and love, which I consider to be horror games. And um, you're right, Earth Dawn, apart from me, one of the finest games ever, if not the finest game ever is uh, one of the ways you could play it is against things called, as you say, horrors. So the clue's right there in the title, isn't it? And, um, and they're brilliant. They are absolutely brilliant. They're all different. They're all unique. Uh, well, later on, there was a few that kind of got a bit kind of generic. But generally speaking, they were all master villains. Incredibly subtle, evil, clever, and just, you know, way, way better than a big bag of hit points with with wings that breathe fire which you tend to get in a lot of the more generic fantasy games you could absolutely drape an entire campaign around the shoulders of just one of the horrors in any of the horror supplements you would never get to use them all and that was unfortunate because there were some absolute perlers in there um, and I'd encourage anybody to look into I'm sure you can still get it but that horror source book never mind the stats there's, there's master villains for any game in there they're brilliant and you're right, when I played it, because we were all... I pictured our characters in Earth Dawn as being drawn by Jeff Lobenstein, 
which meant they were quite primary coloured and had little tokens hanging off of them and feathers in their hats and and whippy swords you don't really think horror but then you think about the things you're doing which is exploring a post-apocalyptic world and using blood magic and half the elves in the game have to be in so much pain all the time that it makes them literally not very appetising to pure evil horrors when you take a step back and squint at it you thought if they put this in the white wolf stable and stuck a black leatherette cover on it we're playing a horror game (laughs) (laughs) it snuck in on me I didn't spot it for absolutely ages and you can absolutely play it that way you can also play it 7th C style which I think a lot of groups did and started out that way us included with flop top boots and scrang swordsmen and it's a bit piratey but it wouldn't take very much at all to have it look that way yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting aspect. When I think about all of the, the four-colour fantasy games I've got, and even the superheroes games that I play, there is usually an element of something nasty around the corner, um, even if it's just the master villain. They're not really two-dimensional, moustache-twirling Victorian idiot villains. They're always a bit nastier than that. And, and that's that's got to supply some horror into your game somewhere, hasn't it? You're always going to struggle, aren't you, with a group of players to horrify them. And you probably don't want to horrify the players in the true sense of the word in the dictionary definition sense. Um, but you want to get a few uh, scares and thrills or like, just like, I don't know, a couple of shivers down the spine maybe, or just that bit of excitement or a bit of a frisson of like, oh, we're in real trouble now and we need to do something about it. Or how do we get out of this one? Or that, And it's, I think it's capturing those sort of elements more than trying to um, play a game that turns into a horror movie. Yeah, I think so. Another game that I was going to suggest to throw a bit of light and shade on this that I think really is absolutely a horror game, and maybe not obviously so, is Torchbearer. Now, Torchbearer is um, is from the people who brought us Burning Wheel. It's very much a fantasy game. It uses basic D&D as its spine for its core activity, but it does it the way that Quentin Tarantino would do it. So what that means is think about it this way if you're an adventurer it means you're not going to inherit any land you're not good enough to get in the military you're not clever enough to get into academia or theologica your only career option is to gather together with some other unlucky mates scrabble together some crappy equipment and throw yourself down a murder hole which is full of things that want to not just beat you up but eat you and if you're lucky you'll come crawling out that hole with a few coppers which you can spend on a bigger sword so you can go and do it again next week now on its own that philosophy is madness and when you put into that a whole bunch of really cool mechanics that just keep ratcheting up the tension where we're unlike in basic D&D where all of this stuff got glossed over because it was all shiny paladins and that kind of stuff which I have a lot of respect for but anyway when it becomes much more about how much you've got in your water skin and you know if you are down to your last torch do you really want to be down there in the darkness do you really want to carry that bag of gold or do you want to carry your comrade out that's when it becomes more like that movie the descent where everyone's a caver and it goes horribly wrong if you think of dungeoneering in that style and you've just got that level of tension around there i've I've played torchbearer it's terrifying (laughs) it shouldn't and just six kobolds is the scariest thing in that game and it's the least scary thing in, in any other way of playing D&D, which just goes to show that in the right situation, if you can get the atmosphere right, if you can get everybody on the same page, if you can get everyone to look at things in the same way, then something that would otherwise be quite mundane becomes terrifying. And I would say that 
unfortunately for me, Cthulhu's gone the other way because I've got so blasé about it, I can't put myself in, in the place of the person who knows nothing about the cosmic horror and it's gradually revealed to them. So, I, But I do quite like taking the older tropes, the fantasy tropes like Inert or like in Torchbearer and just looking at them through a different lens and maybe just you know adding that that realistic filter over them that Quentin Tarantino does to the old west in his films that kind of thing and all of a sudden it goes from cinemascope to uh video nasty very easily so there's other sort of games as well then which I don't know whether they fit into urban fantasy or that sort of whatever the the phrase is but things like unknown armies which is that it's uh, a reboot recently uh which I think definitely contains body horror and uh, existential horror and all, all kinds of other things like that, you could argue. I mean, you can play it in all kinds of ways. But I think a lot of the other games that are based around that sort of horror genre have you as, like, hapless fighters. Certainly like Cthulhu, for example. You, you know, you're investigators, but you're never going to win. You're just sort of trying to hold back the tide in whatever little way you can before the inevitable demise of humanity. But in Unarmed Armies, you've got more kind of a... You can play adepts, so you've got, like, powers and abilities and, and stuff like that. And I think we've both read Greg Stolze's book as well, Godwalker, which kind of you know could basically be a, an adventure that happened. But the the sort of uh, desperate activities that some people get up to in the pursuit of their dream, or what they think, you know, the the, the sort of the things they'll do to to meet their goals, which you perhaps in other circumstances wouldn't think they would do. For example, that's probably where some of the horror element comes from in terms of what people are willing to do to you know to get what they want, and then you know if they reflect back, perhaps they wouldn't have taking that same path, giving a second chance and that sort of thing. So there's perhaps something there to explore in terms of personal journey and with power responsibility and what price will you pay for what it is that you want and that kind of thing. Yeah, I know Nami does it really well and they, they put that front and centre, don't they, that it's because the game is set up about the ability to work your will. Uh, if you've read Mage, you'd have a rough idea where that's going. But the idea is you have you have something that's not just important to you you're not just passionate about it it's an obsession it's a game about obsession and because your characters have to have obsessions then the question is easily answered what would you do to make that happen well because you're obsessed with it there's nothing you wouldn't do and that's when you do things that normal people who aren't obsessed think you're crazy for doing and that would include murder i mean that's going to be pretty low rent stuff in unknown armies just you know <laughs> just uh, just putting a bullet in someone is going to be whatever you would do. You, you might put, a, you know, putting a bullet for your sister or your lover or your mother or all of the above just to get you know one more feed of that magical juju you need so much. That's a different question, and Unknown Armies answers that really well. And I defy any player to give that more than a moment's thought and not actually get a little shiver up the spine about what they're attempting to do. It's not about two bits of plastic bouncing across the table then. It's about, really? You're going to do that? You're going to go that far? Should we take a break? <laughs> and it's amazing how uh, yeah, a little bit of power corrupts, as they say, and you can, you can just keep going, well, if you, if you did this, then you could have these charges. And it seems starts escalating, doesn't it? And you, you know, you've know, you got those great madness meters that show you how hardened you are to certain types of activity and you know how violent your character has become and what they're willing to do without batting an eyelid. Whereas you know a few sessions ago or months of game time, they wouldn't even dream of like slapping someone in the face or something and now you're just shooting people without even thinking about it what does that mean for your character or for you you know think about what you've become 
Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a, a quick story. I played D&D last week with a bunch of people who'd never played it before, and it was fascinating for loads of different reasons. But if, but one of the takeaways I took from this is uh, there's a player in the game, let's call him Tom, because that's his name. Hello, Tom. And uh, he's, he's, playing, he's playing a bard, which is nice, and the situation the party find themselves in is that they need to take their cart, which is being pulled by two oxen, and hide it off the road, so they can go off on an adventure and come back to them. So Tom's bard, he's been playing D&D for less than an hour at this point, he he says, I lead the oxen off. I said, well, you know, oxen are stubborn. This one's chewing on a bit of grass, and, you know, it's a big old cow, there's two of them yoked to this cart, and they don't really want to move. And I'm just kind of pitching, you know, just to show them the skills chapter and make an animal handling role. Before I get a chance to say anything, he says, I get my sword out and stab the cow through the head. <laughs> right. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, you can't say no because the actions happen. There's no skill role needed for that. Although later I thought, I wonder how hard it would be to actually kill a cow with a piece of metal. I, I'm going to look it up on YouTube, but I don't reckon it's straightforward. <laughs> but uh, so then I said to him, "Well, the other cow starts to freak out and lose its shit." because the other one's bleeding out right next to him he's yoked to it and he starts mooing and crapping and pissing and Tom looks at me like I'm the mad one that like I've supplied too much <laughs> horror and realism to this game and I thought it, it didn't take long did it before your your fantasy character was put in, a, in the most trivial of situations and rather than do anything remotely physical or think it through or do anything you just apply extreme violence to the situation to overcome it and step over its cooling corpse and the other players were just looking at him as if to think well seems legit nobody called him on it so I didn't know we were playing Vietnam apocalypse now cow slaughtering (laughs) but apparently we were (laughs) at least they didn't have the cheek to ask how many XP it was worth (laughs) The Smart Party has a Patreon account. It's a way for you and a loyal listener to help with the running costs of the podcast. We really appreciate your help because the red posting and exotic whiskies don't pay for themselves. Head over to the patreon.com slash smart party and sign up to drop us a couple of bucks each month. We will forever be in your depths and you can sit back and relax as we continue to provide free gaming banter for your delectation and delight. But it is horrific. It is horrific. What you do in, in, in most games, most games, Savage Worlds, Supers games, whatever, if you, if you really think about it, there's an awful lot of horrific stuff that happens. There's a lot of actions that we take. Um, they don't always result in fewer hit points at the table, but they're actually quite horrific. I mean, betrayals are commonplace. Just, you know, complete disregard for other people's feelings on, on a party basis. Maybe that's not quite horror, but just ram- running roughshod over what other people want to do is trivially done in gaming, isn't it? Because you, you, it's difficult to see and feel the consequence. It's a bit like internet trolls. That, that sort of role-playing gaming environment can be that uh, that one remove from the reality of what you're doing. And I think the best horror GMs, um, of which I think you're one, Gaz, is you don't let people off the hook so easily. You ask them not only if they've got the dice to back that up, but if they've got the will to back that up. And you ask other people, what do you do when that happens? 
or what do you think about it or are you going to let them get away with it and they're quite leading questions but they're worth asking aren't they oh absolutely yeah i mean i think to one degree that that's something i've noticed that i find i can find frustrating when i play a game as well sometimes is i'll do something because I don't know, we're playing Cthulhu and my character's got a temporary insanity and I've gone mad. So I act in a particular way or do something out of character or uh, perhaps be like over the top about it or whatever. But yeah, clearly I'm doing something that's, you know, not right. And the vast majority of time, other players just need to go like, okay, well, um, I'll get the tome and I'm going to tell that to my mate. At the... It's like, no, hang on a minute. One, one of your companions who you depend upon for your life has clearly got something wrong with him. He's acting in a really bad way. Why aren't you doing something about that? Uh, and the GM quite happily will just sit back and do nothing. But I think it sort of behooves the players, but also the GM to kind of like to react to that. And I think that's, I think you're right. It is um, a skill people can do with uh, sort of like honing and try it a bit more because you kind of got to ask other people, what are you doing at like that? What do you feel about that? Or, you know, that sort of question. Because if you don't, then people just look like wait for their turn and then do something else or, you know, look for secret doors or something. So you've kind of got to, as other players or as a GM, kind of like push each other a little bit or ask questions or, examine the situation or how people are behaving or how you feel about that situation or what you're going to do about it because that's where it all comes from isn't it you can't just sit as a a passive observer and expect to get a thrill out of the ride necessarily and you want to know you all want to know in the game those little bits of monologues that happen in people's heads in books or that sort of stuff that you don't normally get you know so it really needs to be expressed and, and out there so that people can grab hold of it yeah, that, that that's absolutely true. That that's where RPGs differ from a lot of other stuff. You're right. If you if you put six characters on a cart pulled by oxen and had them do a two hour road journey, in many films or books, that would be a chance to get to know those characters a bit more, uh, have a little bit of chat, put a bit of backstory into it. But of course, naturally in gaming, you just want to go to the next encounter, so you just gloss over that. So you know you don't it's not just about getting characterization out of people because that will come with time but if you want to if you want to scare people you've got to kind of know what buttons to press and if you want other people to be horrified you have to do stuff that you know will horrify them and if everybody's playing a fairly two-dimensional blank slate kind of murder hobo that's quite difficult to do so if you've got a group of psychopaths in other words a D&D party it's really difficult to freak them out from that perspective <laughs> <laughs> to find other ways to do it it might be the worst game to try it in I don't know you can think of it off the wall I'm still thinking about your merged oxen I can just imagine as the party are walking now because they've got no transport at one yeah. point a team of beastmen are going to come out hearing that the uh, someone's got an issue with horned animals and they've, yeah. they've come out of the dark jungle to sort of attack the transgressors I don't know well, bringing uh, it back to Unknown Armies, Unknown Armies would have a way of dealing with that, wouldn't it? And I, I don't know if they've got this in the new edition, by the way. You might know. Didn't they have madness meters and notches and you could become hardened to violence? Because you've definitely become hardened to violence if your first reaction is to stick your, your brand new sword through a cow's head until it stops mooing. That's, that's got you a notch. And I think when we played Unknown Armies, it was quite fun to collect some until you realised just how cold that made you and nobody was returning your phone calls anymore. <laughs> and you were sitting there drinking half a bottle of whiskey every night alone. <laughs> yeah, quite. I think, well, one of the other good things that Unknown Armies does as well is um, if you're an adept, so you might be, a, for example, a dipsomancer, so you get your power from drinking booze. So you have to be drunk, otherwise, you know, you don't have charges, but which affects everything else you do. So there's kind of like rough with the smooth a little bit. 
but then there'll be things that you cannot do, otherwise you lose your juju. So you can't sober up. You know, you just can't. Drinking coffee and not drinking for two days is definitely out, and you will lose your powers. So there's, you know, there's, and for each different adept, there's a different thing like that. So there's certain things they have to do and can't do, and there's minor infractions and major ones, etc. Uh, it's a little bit like being a paladin, I guess, actually, in D&D, where there's certain things that you can and can't do. But having that in-game then gives you a leverage. If you've got um, the Dipsomancer and he's locked in someone's basement, for example, in a makeshift cage, at first, that's not too bad. The characters not, you know, might not be horrified by that per se. You know, There could be a baddie coming down to get you at some point, but where's the immediate threat? But if you're going to lose all your power that you've been relying on for a few years because you're slowly sobering up and you need to get out there and have a drink, that just adds that extra dimension. So there's got to be that kind of consequence to what's happening that makes you care. So I think UA certainly does that very well in sort of giving you things that you cannot do immediately gives the GM or someone who's creating the story the opportunity to put things in the path that are going to challenge that as well as having something else you're supposed to be doing as well and creating a fork for, well, what do you do? Because you've got to go here to save that girl, but also you need to get a drink, otherwise you're not going to have any power. And, you know, creating those sort of forks in the road is where it's putting the power in the player's hands again, but also there's a worrying consequence, whichever one they take, and they don't know which one's the right one necessarily. Mm. Yeah, UA's good for that. Is, is that an army's your go-to game for for scary chills and stuff or, or do you have other things in your bag you would pick out first these days um it hasn't been for a while but now the new edition's out it, i might well return to it i do like delta green is probably my my favorite but that's kind of got its own issues and that some of the system doesn't necessarily support the things we're talking about i mean it's a basically cthulhu system so it does follow those kind of tropes but the other thing about it is very much a book you have to read Delta Green and all the supplements are excellent. Excellent books. Brilliant reads. I've read them all cover to cover several times because they're just full of interesting information. And then the rub comes as a game is you can't just give that information to your players. You have to keep it secret and give it to them a bit of a time. So many of our friends, uh, I imagine Pete and people like that, like look at me when I go back Delta Green going like, I'm sure you like it, Gary. But I just, you know. It's not necessarily for me as much. And that's cost. They don't have all the stuff that I have in my head, but I can't equally just tell them what it all is. Otherwise, there's no point playing the game because then they have all the secrets kind of thing. So I think Delta Green is to a degree because there's things you can do with it. But, but it, it's probably more that it just immerses me in a certain mindset and feel that then gives me the sort of juju, if you know what I mean, as a GM to, to sort of lay things on the players a little bit. Uh, and I quite like it because although it's a Cthulhu-style game, uh, it's more, well, certainly from my head anyway, I always pitch it in the 90s, like the X-Files. So you imagine modern scholar, it's that kind of stuff. So you actually are agents. You have got guns and things like that. And you, know, you don't have to worry about being a dilettante and when do I get the shotgun and dynamite to fight the deep ones. You're kind of already in that mindset that you are a capable agent with resources and things like that. But also you're slightly off the books. So I like it for that that sort of thing again, that it's, it's a bit like, I like playing Pendragon, you know, it's that kind of thing where you've got traits that you're supposed to you're supposed to act in a certain way, but there's challenges to it. And I think it's that, that it's not horror necessarily, but certainly the thrills and the decisions and the, oh, what do I do here and the bad consequences that can come out of it. That's what I like. So I like the Delta Green for you are capable. You're not rubbish and bumbling about and don't know about bad stuff. You, you kind of skip past all of it, but you do know there's weird stuff happening. You've encountered it before. You are kind of working for the government, but not really. And you're down at the bottom rung and there's something dodgy going on. And you get weird phone calls in the middle of the night of people you don't know and all the rest of it. So you're immersed in it. 
like I said, there's these weird forks about what you can and can't do, and you do very quickly find yourself in over your head and what do you do about it. Much the same as, you know, in the X-Files they used to there, where they find themselves in a sewer and the mobile phone doesn't work, and there's some kind of weird alligator man trying to eat the face. So uh, could Delta Green explain Stranger Things, or could Stranger Things be a Delta Green scenario? Because one of the nice things about Stranger Things is with a couple of exceptions, every every protagonist in it knows nothing about the situations until they find themselves in it and the whole series is about them wading deeper into a situation which which would which would be the way that that people get initiated into the mythos or or delta green operations i suppose with no prior knowledge is there some lessons to be learned there to save to save you giving me a massive delta green source because saying you, when you've read that you'll be able to play the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think there is i mean obviously i'm conscious of giving too much away about either the tv series or the uh, the book itself but yeah there's definitely something there where you, your characters will be off-piste government agents so the the big weird thing that's happening in a lab somewhere would be a government thing but you wouldn't be on board with that you'd be on the outside of it and you'd be trying to help find the lost boy for his mum or something as an agent but you don't want to tip the, the authorities off in inverted commas because then you know the big conspiracy will be on to you and you don't want that to happen either so there's definitely a role for them to play as kind of trying to help also being perceived as part of the, the 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 government or whatever the man, but not really, and then being on limited resources and trying to you know not really knowing what they're doing, but trying to bumble the way through it as best they can because they're the only people who can. You know, they, this is kind of what they do. They're the last line of defence for humanity, but don't really know what they're doing, under resourced, and just kind of like make it up as they go along, but trying the best for it. Uh, and if you know when you've got the consequences of it's really down to you to find this little kid because no one else is going to do it. It, it sort of adds extra weight to it. So I think there's definitely like a routine for that kind of stuff there. Yeah, interesting. Because uh, th- there's a few different ways in and out of Stranger Things, as we discussed from a from a consumer watching TV point of view. But from a gamer, there was just as many ways in. One, uh, there's an awful lot of discussion about how would you replicate Stranger Things with RPGs. I, I think my answer is you'd need about three of them. And you'd probably need three GMs and three different games. And maybe it would be awesome at a convention the the idea of having a whole bunch of different parties which are only sometimes two or three people at a time even though you might have like seven or eight protagonists they're all off in like they're literally split the party haven't they you've got the kids you've got the mom and the cop and you've got like the other kid and the high school guy and and they're all pursuing different plot lines that intersect a bit later on which works really well in books, it works in films, and it definitely worked in that TV show. That's difficult to pull off in RPGs, I would suggest. Yeah. Unless you're doing something a bit maybe troop-style, where maybe you are playing all of those characters, and we've discussed this before as well, about having multiple characters per player, and jump-cutting between them. That might be fun, because I think everyone's grown up enough to, to not use out-of-character knowledge to further their own ends. Because you'd get that as a viewer. You see stuff, don't you? So you know it. I wonder if there's mileage there. I mean, that that might make things move along at a bit a bit of a quicker pace in investigative games if you could play multiple people. Yeah, maybe. And probably another angle we could think about is if you're going to run something that's GMless, and then you don't know actually know what the end game is or what the big master plot is, or if you're going to find this kid or not, and all the rest of it. But that just comes out through play. I suggest it take some you know a decent framework around it and some probably a more aggressive uh, like scene framing and consequences and things like that because 
a lot of the uh, sort of independent games of that nature can be a little bit you have to ask other people's permission is somebody alright with that and that you're doing the right thing and which is cool and I understand it for certain reasons and all the rest of it but if you're going to play a game where the goal is to uh, thrill, horrify, you know worry other people, you can't be too much leaning on making sure they're alright with it, you probably want to sail a bit close to the wind on a lot of things, come up with surprising stuff that is quite challenging to the players and the characters you've just got to make yeah, sure you've got the right set of people around the table yeah, yeah, absolutely, which is good advice for any game, isn't it? But um, yeah, what's interesting is, uh, as as we speak, well, it's just coming up to Halloween, isn't it? So for October, I've been taking part in a game which is being played over G+. A bunch of us, I think about half a dozen, um, forum mates, really good game, really good. There is no GM, and we're just posting on a G+, thread in a little community and driving the plot along just by typing. It's really interesting. I've not done much of that before, it's been a real thrill to read it happen. I'm kind of crying out for some structure in my head because we haven't got a GM. There are no rules. <laughs> it's it's kind of shared fiction, if I'm honest, more than a trad RPG. And that's fine. And it's a really, really enjoyable game. But it's also it's a horror story. So we're in a situation where there's been some kind of invasion or we're being taken over. It's body snatchers type stuff. Um, and it's good. But nobody knows what's going on behind the scene because we don't have a GM. All we are doing is just following each other along and having dialogue. And initially, I think everybody was a bit nervous about stating things. Everything was presented as a question, like, shall we all go over there? Is that okay, everyone? And some people would go, yeah, cool. And some people would say nothing. And it's like, do I wait for everyone to say yes before I write my next line? And, and it was you know, a little bit trepidatious but that's fine and as it's gone on I think we've all realised that we're not having to wait for a GM to say and then the aliens drop out of the trees and stun you with their tasers that will happen if someone writes it that makes it even scarier so not having a GM is weird and a lot of our initial reactions were because we were trained as regular role players to fight stuff, set fire to it or run away from it but there's no one to give you the answer to that so we, we did a lot of running away at the start and then the next thing we had to write, like the next day, was, and then I come back <laughs> because there wasn't a GM saying, when you get to the next town, this is who you find at the reception of the motel. So <laughs> we couldn't really, we couldn't get out of it. And when it came to fighting, and we said, right, you know, we fight, there was no one going to say, and this is what happens as a result of a fight. So when you're totally in command of your own actions like that, you start to think about what exactly it is you're saying and, and how you're speaking for everybody else, because when you type it, it happens. So it's been a really interesting experiment, and, and there's been plenty of horrific moments and horrifying stuff has come out of it just from that fact that there is no safety net whatsoever. Uh, even though you could you could write yourself into safety quite easily, you would effectively be taking yourself out of the game, and there's no fun to be had there. Although you you might see that happen quite a lot in a GM'd game. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is definitely. Well, it's um, is it Sergey's Law or something like that? I can't remember. There's uh, one of the the indie writers has said something along the lines of that: if you set your own challenge, it's never going to be challenging enough. If you know what I mean, because you always I'm, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but you kind of leave yourself a sort of back door. So if it's up to you, you know, someone hits you with a sword or an alien zaps you with his laser or whatever, it's like, what happens? And you'll kind of go, oh, yeah, oh, it hits me in the like, the upper shoulder or something and, you know, can't use my arm for a bit. You're not going to say it, like, takes my arm off or something like that. That's 
Uh, and so that's the the power and the challenge of those kind of like shared space games is that someone else might say if they say and what happens to Baz, uh, he's lost something important. It's kind of like trying to trying to give yourself consequences, but I don't know. You're always, you're always going to give yourself a backdoor, aren't you? Psychologically, I, I think it takes some playing until you play for a little while, and then you will get players uh, like Alina, who we know, who mm-hmm. seems very keen on her, like really sort of crucifying her own characters, which which I find very amusing. Sometimes you've got to hold her back from like really damaging your own character, but yeah, it's a certain mind, like it's a stolen car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, right, cool. So they're all good games. How have we got this far through this podcast without you talking about Hot War? Because that oh, yeah, we never normally go no ten minutes, and and that isn't. I tried reading that on your recommendation, and I found it in every sense of the word horrifying because it, it chilled yeah. me. The, the even six pages into the background, and again, I was a new father at the time, which definitely doesn't help. I couldn't read any more <laughs> of it. It was so disturbing, but I want to play it. Because that's got everything we've talked about for the last hour or so in it, hasn't it? With the tensions and the unknowns and the fear and the paranoia. It sounds to me like a like a great horror game, even if it's not. Or maybe it is monsters stalking you through alleyways. I don't know what it's about because it's all a bit secretive. What's it about? Yeah, it's uh, spilled the well, it's, um, it's an post-apocalyptic game. The, the game really drives around the player's agendas. So each character has two agendas. One that's factional, which is whichever organisation they belong to will have given them something to do. And one's personal that they want to do. And quite often they'll rub against each other or be opposed or, you know, you'll have to pick one or the other in quite a lot of situations. But a lot of the game comes from the players driving that. So that's what like, brings me back to my point around you have to know what your character cares about and what you're willing to do to, you know, achieve that goal kind of thing. And in Hot War, it turns out to be generally people do whatever they can to kind of achieve that goal. But yeah, that's I mean that's what sort of that's where some of the uh, the conflict and drama comes from, and and certainly the the potential for horrifying things is what you're willing to do to achieve your agenda, and how far you push it. But that's all the game is about. The players must complete their agendas. If they don't do that, there is no game. Uh, but the setting ostensibly is in a post-apocalyptic 1960s London, where as far as anybody's aware, London's all that's left. There was a, a nuclear war and weird science war as well. There was strange creatures and other things occurred in it. But you can either take or leave that bit. It doesn't matter too much. But London is all there is. And if everybody worked together and helped each other out and the police and the army and the navy and everybody sort of like got together, they could probably do quite a good job. But no one is. They're all out for themselves. It's a little bit kind of 1984 and Orwellian to a, to a certain degree. Uh, and or Lord of the Flies, you know, and, and everybody's got their own faction. And while they're saying we're all helping each other out, really what they're doing is trying to feather their own nest. And it reminds me a little bit of King Rat, if you've read the James Clavell book in that, which is we've all kind of got these views of uh, British POWs and how they all stick together and whistle as they went off to work in Japanese camps and stuff like that. That novel's well worth reading and just sort of like was a demonstration from his experiences about how humanity breaks down and how you very quickly just become about you and your mate when you're in a place like that. And there's all sort of like all your other sort of things about king and country and all that sort of fade away and it becomes very personal to you. And that's a kind of horror story in a way. So Hot War is very much about, you know, on the face of it, everybody's supposed to be helping each other, but actually everything's going to the dogs and it's only going to get worse. So it's kind of what do you do to sort of get your agenda done? Uh, which could be something quite simple or it could be something, you know, more complex and lead on to further agendas as you accomplish them. But it all again comes down to, what does it mean to you personally, your character, and what are they going to do about it? 
I think that's where the real drive comes from. Okay, so that's that's um, that's leaning on the old humanity is the worst kind of horror at the end of the day, yes. which is where the best ones seem to go, don't they? Yeah, yeah, I think because the background has these like twisted technology things uh, and weird creatures and science and weird diseases or, or engineered bio weapons and all this kind of stuff potentially, but I very rarely use it to be honest. It's often more about the characters' actions and kitchen sink drama and that kind of stuff, to be honest. And I've used it for Cthulhu and Delta Green and games like that because I think the engine works really well because it's it's about the characters then and not so much about how much damage does a nine millimeter pistol do to a deep one. Is it is it an unfair comparison to call it out at the same time as Apocalypse World, which seems to be trying to achieve similar ends? Apocalypse World is reacting to fronts. The the peculiar thing about the Apocalypse World engine games is that it requires you to have a few things you care about, I think, actually. And you're always looking for triangles. So the story really comes from there's your character, someone else's character, and then a third party in the middle. And there's some kind of triangle there. And there'll be an outcome. But you're required to have lots of those shapes all the time. So as that scene becomes resolved, then somebody else is in conflict or another threat or a front comes to the fore. And you have to do something about that. And I find... I don't know, for me personally, Apocalypse World feels a little bit trying to ride, like trying to ride a unicycle or something. And that you're wobbling about, and as soon as you stop or think, or no one's got something to say, you kind of fall off and you have to get yourself up and start again. But I know other people like it, but it's always, it is remitting her in a way that there always seems to be something. And it's always something that needs to sort out right now. And that's kind of okay at first, but for me, it doesn't feel like light and shade. And I think that's a good thing you get at a horror game sometimes, or films or books, is you have the, you have the break every now and again. There's a bit of a, a calm period before the storm or the 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 sudden inexorable kind of build up again to the next crescendo and that kind of stuff. I just find Apocalypse Worlds a little bit more like this happens, right, now this happens, right, now this happens, and you you're constantly in these triangles all the time. Which is fun for a one off. I think anything more than that. I, it just exhausts me as a player. <laughs> trying to think of the different things that might be happening and why I should care about them and you know, quite often, sometimes I think for me, you just you get beat so often, and the end you just go right, yeah, hit me, fine. I don't mm. actually care about this, and at that point, the game starts to fall over because you have to care about what you're doing. Blimey, if it's too brutal for you, I've got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether it's, it's the brutality; it's just the it's the constant conflict. Everything has to right. be a a triangle of somewhere or something's. What do you do about this? And sometimes you just don't care as much or I find it hard to care constantly about stuff if you know what I mean yeah, it's, it can be wearing can't it and yeah again, I'm no expert on horror but I'm I'm reasonably sure that like one of the, the ways of achieving horror is to give that light and shade and give people breathing space and then threaten it and then they get to safety again and then threaten it again which is all of the zombie stuff and we're probably at peak zombie at this point aren't we because it used to be vampires and now it's zombies and are we at peak zombie? Have we gone past that yet? Or is everybody still into Walking Dead and I think, that kind of post-apocalypse yeah, goes zombie. right into that as well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think the zombie might have jumped the shark. Uh, but Walking Dead's <laughs> just started again, so maybe it'll, it'll <clears> come back. Um, I suppose, to kind of take it away from all this grim dark stuff we're talking about, another really great horror game, potentially a horror game anyway, is Deadlands. Yeah, maybe. Because on the face of it, that's basically just Cowboys and Indians, isn't it? with a bit of yes. weird science thrown in. Yeah. But actually, Wild Wild West. you know the yeah. background, it's all about the Reckoners and the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and the fact that they're trying to turn the whole world into this 
horrible, grim hell on earth, which is hence why the second book came out, because that's what happened in that particular timeline. Um, but that really, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, saloon girls and gun singers and cowpokes and all this kind of stuff, and mad scientists, and it could be a little bit kind of Back to the Future or, you know, Will Smith, well, well West or something, to, to a degree. But realistically, behind it, uh, there's quite a lot of really dark stuff going on. And that depends on the treatment you want to give it, because everything in it is, is supernatural and very, very nasty. And I think if you've got the right group and the right mentality, that could be as black as anything. It could be like Deadwood um, and that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it, it presented itself. I don't think it did itself any favours in this direction by presenting itself as Dayglow orange and then Dayglow green and then Dayglow pink. It's, <laughs> someone once described it to me as, as a really camp game, and I kind of know what they mean. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And, and it's, the artwork's quite cartoony, mm. and it's a bit like Tales from the Crypt, that kind of stuff, or, or as scary as Ghostbusters is, which yeah. I find quite frightening. But you know, that's <laughs> but Deadlands could be, and, and probably should be, really deep and nasty stuff. I mean, that all of that business about the Reckoners is absolutely terrifying, and it's a pretty good meta plot. And Hell on Earth, I know, is, is post-apocalypse that we both like, and you can play that for comedy, can't you? Because you've got uh, Debbie Dallas is one of the NPCs in it. Which is, yeah, it's, it's funny once, but you need the visuals to be right in your head, don't you, to turn that into something like Fury Road, really, I think. But it, it could absolutely be done. Uh, and, and yeah, there's, there's some real darkness in there. In, in the same way, I think the, the probably the European or the British version of that is Warhammer Fantasy, because that's pretty blooming bleak as well, but it's, it's sometimes tied up in Blackadder comedy, which... You scratch underneath that, you look at the Chaos Gods, and it's all blown up now. Spoiler alert, you can't have it anymore. But anyway, you, when you could, <laughs> stuff like um, Skaven will either look like something from a slightly out there Tim Burton film or the most terrifying thing you've ever encountered in your life. And and the population, the human population in the Empire, in the Warhammer world, are supposed to believe that Skaven are a myth. And if you saw one and it popped up in your sewer that would be like the Warhammer equivalent of Delta Green. The Inquisition would have to come in and like burn everything to make sure it never got out. I mean, it's, it's a truly horrifying game, but that level of humour over the top might prevent people from seeing that. But whenever I've played your Deadlands or my Warhammer, it's got pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. And I think really it should be more like um, Jabberwocky, that old film, something like that, where it's there's comedy moments and then just moments of absolute horrif- horrifying, you know, sort of scenes of... Uh, evil creatures or whatever else. I, I think you're right. It, it's difficult. It's just getting the mood at the table, I think, a little bit. Part of it is just trying to get everybody and boys saying, like, look, this is going to be a horror game tonight, so let's try and keep the Monty Python jokes to a minimum and try and, you know, keep focused and, and bring something out, I guess. Yeah, it's hard, though, isn't it? Because humour is a good defence mechanism against most things, and it, it really helps in horror films and that kind of stuff. And you see it happen when it's when it's nicely scripted. You know, Joss Whedon can get away with it. Um, or, you know, Scream is a pretty good example of, like, you know, they can sort of joke around with it, but it's still a bit nasty at times. Um, but, you know, we're not directing a film, are we? So you've got to put a bit of latitude into into a game at the table. But I, I think horror games, are, of course, are more fragile than most when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know. I, I think I think... I think I probably need to stop talking about how I don't like horror games because I think I probably do. I just don't call them that. I don't call them, you know, I don't have the the, the big monster uh, stalking people through the streets and it's not what you'd call Hollywood horror or um, or Lovecraftian horror 
but there's still plenty of horrific things happen and and if my game were all fluffy bunnies all the time i don't know if i'd keep coming back to it and i don't think the players would either you need tension at the very least to to you know, yeah make the game unfurl i think taking it to sort of your favorite area if we talk about D, really what all you need to do is think about what the lich is up to you know what i mean rather mm. than as you mentioned earlier about using them as a big bag of hit points with some cool spells if you've got a lich with a plan and he's going to take over a kingdom and you know the, the things he's doing and that you have to build up to over several adventures to get to the point where you find out it's him and what he's playing at, you can easily make a D&D horror game just by the village that you're used to going to to buy your magic potions and you turn up one day and you know everyone's dead or been turned into a zombie or disappeared or you know, whatever. There's a mysterious plague that's suddenly like bringing everybody low or something. You can easily bring horror elements into a D&D game and just make it all a bit darker and just by using creatures and monsters that are in the game already, but use them a bit more intelligently and putting a bit more plot and drama around it. Make them more human. You know, give, give them an intelligence and an agenda and a plan and everything gets more horrifying. You know, the scariest thing you can imagine in D&D is a bugbear with an agenda. <laughs> Quite right, Which is though. the title for the podcast. <laughs> no, I don't think we just found it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure it accurately describes what we've said, but yeah, I like it. <laughs> probably All right, not. Mate. <laughs> cool. I think I think that's probably a note to leave it now. I think you've, you've broken the comedy barrier and, and spoiled the horror podcast. Okay. Yeah. I've brought yeah. it to a close anyway. Let's come back for season two and and, uh, and make it about more than one alien. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thanks for that, Baz. Uh, as always, everybody, if you've got ideas about your horror games or something we haven't covered, or if you've got a particular game you think will help Baz uh, become enamoured with the horror genre, perhaps in a, in a slightly different way than he's thought of before or hasn't quite experienced, do let us know. Let us know your thoughts, comments, queries and questions as we love hearing from all you out there in Radio Land. You can contact us and join in the chat by emailing us at smartparty@hotmail.com or by heading over to our website at smartparty.wordpress.com Get in touch and join the party of smartness. So for now, it's goodbye from me. And with a thank you to our patrons and a happy Halloween to you all, it's a goodbye from me. Bye-bye. Cheerio.